0: Welcome to Wellness Realness with Christina Rice. I'm your host, Christina. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, holistic health coach, Reiki practitioner, and the creator of ChristinaRiceWellness.com, where you can find my blog, recipes, services, programs, and ebooks. In this podcast, I'll be discussing all things related to health and wellness, and I promise to always keep it very real. Remember my disclaimer, the information in this podcast is general health and nutrition advice and is not a replacement for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you'd like to submit a question or a topic for me to discuss, submit it on the podcast page at ChristinaRiceWellness.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and a review on iTunes, and join our Facebook group, Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe. What is up? Welcome back to the show. I hope you had an awesome weekend. I hope you feel refreshed and rejuvenated and ready for this week, and you're just going to have an awesome week because you're listening to this podcast already. I feel a little wiped out from my travels last week and just a lot going on, and I got an ear infection, and I don't remember the last time I got an ear infection, so I had to pick up an ear tincture from the store, so uh, that's what's new in my life. And I also spent the weekend trying to start cleaning out my apartment because I am... uh, the type of person that collects a lot of belongings. I wouldn't say I'm a hoarder. I'm not that bad, but I just keep a lot of things I really don't need and I feel very cluttered when I have extra things. This is one of my biggest personal problems. And so my friend Kaylee um has volunteered to help me <laughs> clean out my apartment. She also did this for me when I was in LA when I lived in LA and she's very useful. And I just told her, I need you to come in and be ruthless and just throw things away because I think it's really hard to do it yourself sometimes because you feel emotionally attached to random crap you don't need to feel emotionally attached to. So so sometimes it's just easier to bring an outsider in, you know? And actually, my friend Kaylee originally was my client many moons ago. And then (laughs) now here we are, this is why I love my job. I meet so many incredible people. And I also love getting Kaylee's perspective on on business, actually, because she has a very interesting perspective because she's she was my client for quite some time. And later she joined my group coaching program, the Paleo Women Lifestyle Program, because she didn't really need any more one-on-one support because we had gotten her to a place where... She didn't really need more of that, but she just kind of wanted some more group support and to be involved. So she joined the program, so she kind of got to see it from both sides. And then now I have the membership on my website, which is what I'm focusing on because I'm just trying to create cost-effective ways for people to get the help they need. As well as make it easier for me to reach a lot more people in a shorter amount of time because obviously there are only so many hours in a day and I can only help so many people individually, which is why as my business grows, I am just trying to reach as many people as I can and am moving away from seeing people one on one and now really focusing on this membership site because. I can give you some really valuable information and help so many more people and it's so much cheaper for you. I mean, some of these protocols, you can go to an FMD or go to a functional nutritionist and pay anywhere from two to 500 to $700 an hour sometimes for certain people and get a protocol or you can pay $9 and get it on my website. So this is what I'm working on a lot with my business in the back end. I am totally changing my website and really trying to create a lot of content around that so that it's super accessible for you. And this is, I'm just hoping everything is ready to launch by 2020, if not sooner. And I'm excited to hear your feedback. And I'm just developing a, a lot, a lot right now that I just cannot wait to show you. And I think it's just going to help so many of you who honestly do need the one-on-one help but haven't made the leap to work with someone individually or who just love to geek out on this stuff and you want to go a step further and learn more and just dive deeper into all of the health and wellness and lifestyle things. So I'm just really excited where the blog is going. I'm looking to expand the topics and talk more about um lifestyle mental health spirituality business in addition to more specifics around really nuanced nutrition topics but as always i really do appreciate when you guys give me feedback and let me know what you want to hear about i think people say that all the time they say oh let me know what you want to hear like bloggers just say that to say that i i don't really know how to be more direct I really appreciate it because if you tell me that you want me to write about something I'll put it on my list and write about it anyone who's a member on my website if I've ever gotten like an email from them saying hey can you write about this it's usually up in the next week because that's that's the point and then I can answer that question and I'm sure other people have the question too they just haven't asked it so I really do appreciate when you tell me what topics you want me to discuss more um On my blog and obviously on the podcast. So keep that in mind. I don't just say that. I really, really like it. And don't forget that you can always submit questions on my website for the podcast. If you go to ChristinaRiceWellness.com and then just go to the podcast page, there's a submission form and you can submit questions, topics. It can be personal to you. It could be about your health. It could be about, um... A guy you're dating, it could be about uh, an annoying boss. It could be whatever you want. Um, this is wellness realness, so we talk about all the things. It could be about you, it could be about me, anything you want. I want to know what you want to hear. So if you have anything on your mind, post about it in the podcast Facebook group, Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe. And if you're not already in that Facebook group, definitely join. You can just search Facebook. Request to join and I will add you in there. Okay, let's talk about today's guest. I'm super excited for you to hear today's podcast. I'm chatting with Justin Janoska. I have been following Justin for quite some time. I originally found him through my friend Brianna Diorio. I'm sure you guys know Brianna. She's been on the podcast before. Love her. And her and Justin are friends, they were in the same program to become functional practitioners, and Justin is a clinician who focuses on helping women healing from their autoimmune diseases and reproductive disorders naturally. He is the founder of the Autoimmune Revolution and focuses on Hashimoto's, lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, MS, IBD, PCOS, and endometriosis. His master's in human nutrition is from the University of Bridgeport, but he takes a very different approach to health. He emphasizes mind-body medicine and focuses a lot on childhood trauma and pays particular attention to eating disorders, disordered eating, however you want to define it, and he also recently released his book, The Flexible Dieting Disaster, Why Counting Macros is Destroying Your Relationship with Food and Yourself. It's a great book. You can get it on Amazon. Highly recommend it. So in this episode, we talk a bit about his book, but also about his approach with different autoimmune diseases and how he got into all of this. And his approach with the trauma and addressing underlying disordered eating. We hit everything. And I love his approach and his perspective. And he is just so knowledgeable. Follow him on social media to just learn all of the things. You will love it. And I mean, I was first really drawn to him, not only because he's ridiculously intelligent, but also because (laughs) he was so controversial and I bring this up in the episode when when I first started following him a long time ago, he was just like very feisty the same way I am. And so I was very drawn to it because it's the same as me. And he talks about like dialing it back a bit recently, which I kind of had the same experience, but he's great and really gets incredible results with his clients. So I highly recommend looking into all of Justin's work if you haven't already. And you can find more from him at theautoimmunerevolution.com and on Instagram at Justin Janoska. And his information will be in the show notes, as always. So without further ado, let's go ahead and hop into this conversation with Justin Janoska. First of all, as I mentioned, I was super excited to chat with you because you have a very spicy personality, as I'm told I do as well. So I think this will be a lot of fun. I love to chat with people who just like spew out not bullshit. So, yeah, for great. Who, so for people who aren't familiar with you, tell them what you do.
1: What I do. Okay. So by day, I am a nerd, I would say <laughs> to sum it up. But I <laughs> specifically work with women who have uh, chronic autoimmune disease and reproductive disorders Um, with specialization in, you know, PCOS, endometriosis, Hashimoto's, lupus, MS, and inflammatory bowel disease. And that also ties into eating disorders and disordered eating and uh, also past trauma and childhood abuse and issues like that. And that kind of all connects into this. So uh, all these things can show up in one person. I see that a lot. So, like... I, I say I do all these things, but I, you never know what to get. And so I, I really focus on autoimmune and women's health, you know, 100% of the time, but you get these other traces of other issues that kind of seep into their health. And that's, you know, something I have to address. And I kind of adapted to that over the years because I kept seeing it show up over and over again, especially disordered eating and eating disorders. That makes sense, right?
0: Yeah. hundred percent. So what got you into that? Like, what was the origin of this?
1: What got me into it was my mom had Hashimoto's, and I decided to help her out because she wasn't getting any real support from conventional medicine uh, seven, eight years ago maybe. Mm -hmm. And you know, I went to grad school trying to study alternative medicine for cancer, and that's really what I wanted to do. Um, But then I, I realized she needed to get real answers that she wasn't getting, so I made it my mission to figure that out. So, when I got her help and got her remission, and I, I was kind of like surprised by the prevalence and high incidence of Hashimoto's and autoimmunity overall, and how it's literally, you know, heart disease and uh, diabetes, I think. Don't quote me on that, like combined. Like it's literally like a cancer and heart disease, I'm sorry. So, 50 million people have autoimmunity, and that's, you know, only getting worse and worse. So, there's no shortage of people that need help. Um, so that's why I decided to focus on that. And, uh, I kind of had to go with my gut on that one. Right.
0: Yeah. So was your approach with her different than your approach with clients now?
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Because I've, you know, you evolve as a teacher and a student, right. And so, uh, I, I did pretty basic level things. I would say surface level things. I would say that I actually kind of. Criticize other people for, <laughs> so not not in this sort of uh, you know self righteous way or anything or, or trying to patronize anybody, but like yeah, I, it's all I knew at the time was you know okay we got to take supplements and change our diet around and do things like that, work on stress, but like yeah that could work and honestly it worked for her, but I found you know early on I would say as well that and even to this point a lot of our clients my clients have. A lot of deeper issues that will not get resolved with just changing your diet and taking supplements and medication. So yeah, especially, right. especially um, trauma and stress from the past that we've kind of withdrawn in judgment dismay and buried, you know, deep in our subconscious mind. So
0: yeah, I definitely want to get into that. But my, my question for you is what advantages slash disadvantages do you think you have being a man working with so many women?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, actually. What advantage do I have? <clears throat> well, I, I, I talk about this in my book, actually, um, in terms of why I decided to even write this book, and it kind of relates to this in the sense that I have been through, and I'll be completely honest with you, I, I have literally a decade of disillusionment, disenchantment, uh, betrayal, shame, guilt, all these sort of toxic emotions that I experienced and went through with multiple, multiple relationships. And I kept seeing a pattern over and over again with why do I end up in this position every time, right? And it's something that we attract, obviously. I knew it was me, I didn't know what though. And what I found was that, you know, because of my past, I attracted this, but not only did that need healing, I also realized that the women I was with needed healing. They all had some sort of abuse and trauma in their life as well, whether it's an eating disorder, you know, bulimia, anorexia, um, bereavement, you know, death in the family, um, verbal abuse. I saw all that, right? And I realized at one point, not too long ago actually, probably the end of last year, that my way of getting what I want is giving them what they need. It's not my job to give these women I was with these emotions that they're looking for. But if I can help other women out there right now, who I'm not with, obviously, like my clients, and, and give them the emotions and uh, fill those gaps in, right? Help them do that for themselves, then I get what I want in the end, right? So that's kind of why I think, uh, I, I, subconsciously, that's kind of how I got into this, and that's why I think, because of my experience with what I've seen, and just my natural, Desire and passion to help women um, is the biggest, you know, motivation for me, because I don't want them to have to go through what I, what these other women I went, or I was with, went through. Does that make sense?
0: Mm-hmm. What about disadvantages? Like, do you feel like you can fully relate to all these women?
1: No, and I completely admit that I don't have a period. At least I don't think so. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, and, and I haven't had an be disease. Right, mm-hmm. I haven't had trauma to that degree, right? Mm-hmm. So that is a disadvantage, right? I would say, and I and that's just kind of how it is. But like, I don't pretend to act like I know everything about a woman because I don't, mm-hmm. um, and I haven't, I haven't been what they've been through. But I, I think the, the 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 relatability factor is is because I've witnessed a lot of what they've done, right, mm-hmm. through a diff- through a different mm-hmm. lens, and I can. I can help them stimulate their own self-healing and heal those wounds and burdens, um, because I've I've really spent a lot of time studying my body medicine and helping women with trauma, and I think that alone is enough. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's that's I think that's my logic there.
0: Yeah, I think also something that's interesting to me about you is your your personality, which can be people can perceive probably as abrasive, and I mean, yeah, right. And same with me. For me, I'm like, well, I'm not always super intense with someone. But also, I think that's what people who are really sick need. Like, they need someone who's going to be very straightforward with them and tell them the truth and not baby them. And I see a lot of other practitioners just doing the, like, oh, you're doing great. Like, self-love. And I'm like, that's not helping anyone. Um, So, I don't know. I think from my side, I feel like that's kind of an advantage for you, too. It's like, like. You're more detached because you're not a woman, I guess, which can be helpful in just like kind of spitting the truth.
1: Mm-hmm. I think so, but there there has to be a sensitive side to it, to yeah. it, right? I'm not, I'm 100%. not, the way I am on social media, which I've dialed it back a lot. I think I had a very tough love approach, and I do, right? Yeah. but with the autoimmune population, they are very sensitive to that because they've already been through a lot. And so I had to really be aware of that. I'm like, okay, I need to chill a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I want I want to help them. But at the same time, I'm like, we can't all be victims. So that's why I have this tough love approach. We need to all like wake up and change because if we're all victims, then we're doomed as, as a society, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why I did that. It's all out of pure love really at the end of the day. But with my clients, yeah, it's completely, I'm a completely different person. I mean, it has to be that way. And that's mm-hmm. what I am And as a real human anyway. You know, I want to be compassionate and kind and sympathetic and generous and all those things. Mm -hmm. So, um,
0: well, in terms of the, the trauma, so how did you start to realize that that played into things?
1: Because yeah, when did that first begin? I'm trying to remember. I, I, I definitely think it was born from the, period of time when I was working with a lot of young women like between 18 and 22 who had disordered eating and a lot of just uh unfortunate obstacles they were going through in the fitness industry with the coaches they would hire and they developed you know attached with the macros and binge eating and all that stuff and I thought like okay like that's a legitimate reason like we can heal that we can you know change that but then there, there got to a point where that wasn't enough. And I started seeing like, well, all these patterns of self-sabotage and, you know, materialism and promiscuity and, uh, alcohol and, and more disordered, you know, more eating disorder type, uh, behaviors. And so, um, I started seeing this connection where like, okay, well they had abandonment, right. As a child, they their parents got a divorce, they went through a lot of loss. And honestly, I I think I saw it with, them again, like I said before, with with the relationships I was in. Mm -hmm. And I I started to see this in the research. I'm like, okay, well, this is no joke. Like we have to, and and especially how I could see it really increasing the risk for a whole host of diseases beyond autoimmunity. And I thought, okay, um, there's no way in hell you can just supplement it and diet your way out of this. Mm right? That's going on. And sure enough, that's, it's exactly it. It's that stuff will literally feed into your biology and your physiology, and it will overshadow anything you do from a detox, gut health standpoint, or whatever else you want to do that we gravitate towards so much. So for me, that's like the, the center of the entire solar system and, and how I work with women now, because literally 90%, if that's at least 90%, um, have some sort of, Trauma, and that's completely subjective and relative to them, of course. So it's not like your typical sexual abuse or verbal abuse or physical abuse or anything like that. But you know, they have something that they're carrying with them that they've created a story and belief around, and it's it's settling in deep inside the body somewhere, creating blocks and really changing their entire stress response, and uh, really having a, a significant factor in their overall health, right?
0: Mm-hmm. So can you give an example of a type of trauma that people might not think of immediately as trauma that you've seen a client carry with them?
1: Yeah, so the example I use a lot of is say that your fourth grade school teacher was reprimanding you for being late to class after recess. If that happens over and over again, or if, for example, you want to go to the bathroom and you're asking permission, your teacher's like, no, like, just hold it in. and like That stuff, if it happens over and over again, can be traumatic, really. It's, they would call that a lowercase c trauma, right? But it's something so trivial in our mind, but really it doesn't matter what you call it. It's the story, it's the, it's the belief, and the kind of the response you have about it. That's where we get sick. Is because we have that the story and that belief about it, not because the trauma happened. Mm-hmm. So we all, But the thing is, we all have it as humans. We all have had something. It's just whether or not we decided to make it a big deal or not.
0: So what would be like the story of the belief around that example?
1: <laughs> uh, okay, so the bathroom one, for example. Okay, so if you're being un- – like if basically you're not being listened to, right, and you're being ignored, that can look a lot like neglect. Mm-hmm emotional neglect. You know? And a lot of times we don't know what that is. It doesn't really matter at that age because all you're worried about is surviving and the only way you know to survive is to deny and resist it. Mm -hmm. And you develop coping mechanisms and behaviors that reflect that. So that could look like a lot of things. And for neglect, that could be, (sighs) it's tough because you have certain, depends on what emotions you're seeking that you never got. And that could be something where you just get involved in codependency, mm-hmm. especially, in, especially in abandonment. That's a really good example. I see a lot where women have a lot of abandonment from their parents or a caregiver, and then they start to either do one of two things they that avoid relationships altogether, or they get sucked into one and they keep. Um, and I've, I've actually been the, the target of that in former relationships where they keep getting involved with other people hoping that they're going to fill in those gaps and and give them the needs and emotions they never got and it's they never win at the end of the day they're always looking for more and so that's you know it's kind of like this vicious cycle it never stops Mm
0: -hmm. do you ever have like I feel like some of these things that we think of as trivial is it ever difficult for to to figure out what it is like if they can't even remember
1: the thing is that a lot of People I think that I've seen are able to identify it. Mm-hmm. They have some sort of recollection. And that's the thing because like your subconscious mind can hold a lot, obviously, right? And it holds a lot of pains and things from the past, but you generally don't forget those things. But if you do, and, and, and it's, if you do, it's because you've completely blocked it out. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that does happen. And sometimes you need to go through additional therapies, you know, EMDR or whatever else to kind of get in that. Um, however, what I do is not that. It's, it's more of narrative medicine, right? So that is helping people explore the biography, right? The thing I, I learned early on was that your cells, to it, um, your, your disease, your condition, your syndrome, whatever you have, your autoimmune disease tells you a story not just about your cells, but of yourself, right? So you have to look retrospectively and see how you got here. And so that, you know, when the mind is still and tranquil, not searching for a solution or an answer, not trying to avoid or deny anything, the mind is able, uh, capable of regenerating and perceiving the truth because it is the truth that liberates, not the effort to be free. And so that is where we can start to identify what major events went on in our life that may have an impact on us now and how we're behaving and what emotions are behind that, okay? So it does take some time and exploration and introspection, but I do find from my experience with clients that it's, it's completely possible. Um, but again, it just, you never know. It's one of those things you kind of have to navigate on your own with support, of course, but I think that we are all capable of getting there, but we have to be in a place of stillness, mindfulness.
0: So when you have kind of figured out what the trauma is, where it started, how, mm-hmm. what do you do next How does, like let's say someone figures that out and they're like okay how do I start changing this story
2: mm, yeah
1: right so the, the first part of this is awareness right just that whole thing I just talked about so I, I will have people write out their story how did you come to be this way right write everything that comes to mind you might get some of it now you might get some of it later it's completely cool so we need to be aware of old wounds. Um, that's the situations, the major events that went on in your life, the emotions, and maybe the self-defeating behaviors. And that's um, something I call the biobiology timeline. And so you can actually draw this out from like birth to where you are now and see like where along the line at age 13, if this happened at age 18, this, you know, an earthquake went off at age you know 20, I was sexually abused, whatever. And you can try to just map it out. And all we're doing is creating awareness. That's it. We're not judging it, hating it, getting rid of it, right? We're just trying to bring that to our consciousness. And that's the missing ingredient for a lot of this, actually, with people with trauma is that they're not integrating their own consciousness. It's a lot of like, okay, we'll go to a therapist who does QNRT or hypnotherapy, and we're like asking to get rid of it, get rid of this pain, right? Which may work, but we need to start to integrate our own consciousness if we really want to heal. So awareness is the first part. But after that, then we need to start to integrate a whole new set of intentions. And what I mean by that is we need to be accepting, we need to have trust, we need to have patience, we need to let go, we need to unburden, we need to de- decondition. And the way we do that is by integrating you know, new qualities of being because you know, obviously what we're doing isn't working, right? So if we can recognize where we are and what we're dealing with we can start to embrace new intentions and we can start to see what the meaning and the opportunity is with our pain, right? Pain is your teacher, illness is your opportunity. And that's a huge shift for a lot of people. If they can see that, and grasp it, right? How can I use this pain to serve myself, right? So I can make sure that I have the resources available in the future I don't, so, that, so that I don't end up this way again. How can I practice more self-care? And then also how can I turn this into a, a sort of a meaning where Um, I serve others rather. And that's kind of what I did for me. And I I talk about this and, and, and like I said before, my way of getting what I want was giving them what they need. And that was the meaning behind my sort of wounds. Mm -hmm. Right. So that would be kind of like the first step with that. And it's a lot of mindfulness, meditation, meditation type things, imagery, things like that we can use to explore this. And again, we're tapping into inner wisdom. That's what we're doing because the answer is inside of us. It's not you. It's not me. It's we don't have it. The doctor doesn't have it. It's for those wounds to be healed. It's got to come from you. And it does. It's there. It's got to find it. Um, And then really the last part, I mean, is kind of what I was just mentioning is putting in action and becoming your next level self. And that's, you know, giving what you want to others, but also giving it to yourself, defining what your purpose is, having a set of ethics, values and living up into that new improved version of yourself that, um, you want to become, but you you can't do that until you be where you are first,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? So that, that's a huge sort of uh, diff- uh, distinction I want to make, but that's essentially what I mean.
0: So do you believe that using that technique alone <laughs> can heal people from autoimmune disease without dietary or supplements?
1: No, because... So, the way I describe it, and again, it's not one or the other, mm-hmm. an if or or, it's an integration of both. Okay. And that's a huge thing we have to grasp here because if you think about it, conventional medicine looks at autoimmune disease and really any sort of disease, I would say, mm-hmm. from a purely physiological standpoint. But we ignore the biography and the psychology. So, think of like a Venn diagram, I've kind of drawn this out before, but like, you have two out of the three that are completely being ignored. Mm-hmm. Psychology may get addressed a little bit if you've seen a naturopath or some functional alternative medicine you know doctor whatever, but the biography from what I've experienced with my clients and who they've seen and other practitioners and doctors I know and I know they don't I know they don't teach it in in uh, naturopathic med school my body medicine that is right now unfortunately that's the missing element actually so to me that has to be integrated in this but we still need to do things at a biological level so that's you know working on your microbiome and dealing with dysbiosis and improving liver detoxification and drainage right we have to do all of those things so it's not either or it's how do we do all of it mm-hmm. right
0: okay i yeah that makes total sense to me and my other question is do you think that all autoimmune disease is rooted in trauma or have you ever seen someone who it's, no. it's not trauma okay
1: No, it's definitely not all of it, but a lot of it is because women, because women I've I've noticed carry a lot of these burdens and wounds. Um, It's just unfortunately how it is. I think men who I've had, which isn't very common. I don't work with many guys. um, They don't. However, I will admit I I spoke to a male yesterday who has lupus and he has a lot of trauma in his past. So it's not, you know, this stuff does not discriminate. Yeah. Right. So it really is important. But however, I will say that in the past, Um, when I used to start doing this with clients now, granted, I may have missed it and I didn't know I was aware of at the time, but I I do know that there are some people and I've definitely helped people who don't have trauma, um, like to this degree. And so they can get by and they get better, which is just great, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously it removes a huge obstacle.
0: Can you explain physiologically to people like why, how trauma can lead to disease?
1: Yeah. So there's a couple of ways I can look at this, but um, if you think about what happens during uh, a traumatic experience, there is this heightened stress response, right? You have basically what ends up happening is there's a sort of biological embedding, which means there's a hypersensitivity of the HPA, HPA axis, so your hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. So it's the stress response that you get anytime you're freaking out about, you know, your favorite ice cream being out of stock or the mailman, you know, <laughs> not delivering your, uh, your protein on time, whatever. So same sort of thing. However, at a very young age, between, you know, roughly one and seven years old, it's very it, – those are very sensitive years of development, right? So you've kind of created this hardwired stress response. And so that really has a lot to do with the limbic system, which I really won't get into but it's a lot of these brain changes that occur. And so there's a lot of um, neurobiological changes that occur. There's a lot of cortisol dysregulation that occurs. And ultimately, we, if we don't have the right stress buffering systems, like a social support network, for example, right? somebody like a caregiver to tell you that it's okay, you, you know, you're going to be safe, but here's the truth of what matters. right? That's huge. in stopping this progression. And a lot of us don't have it as kids the way we need to, right? So that's one part of it, right? But then after, after, beyond that, what happens is that there is a lot of, um, two things really occur here that I'll mention. There's a huge shift in the immune system. And so if you have the genetic predilection for an autoimmune disease, that's not good because what ends up happening is skews your immune system in an unfavorable way. So you end up having more immune cells that are active in the immune attack against yourself, right? to make it really simple. The other unfortunate thing with this uh, biological bedding is that cortisol is very, very damaging when it's chronically high. And we know that from the research. It's very, very clear. There's a lot of pro-inflammatory cytokines and things that come out of this. And we end up finding damage to the amygdala, the prefrontal cortex, the hippocampus, right? And so where do you think a lot of us really have chronic depression and anxiety? It's from probably from stuff like this. Mm-hmm. But we're not aware of it. We think it's because we just went over our macros for the day. You know? It's not it's not that I mean, I'm not I know it's funny, but it's also not, right? So like that's what I mean by this is beyond just autoimmune stuff, but like this trauma has literally got huge ramifications and we need to be aware of this. So like that's kind of how I would sum it up.
0: So let's talk about how dieting connects with all of this. Mm-hmm. Does dieting cause think, autoimmune disease, or does autoimmune disease cause dieting, or can no, either happen? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So um, I, I would probably say the the first path,
2: mm-hmm.
1: if anything, is it's much uh, much more prominent. I would say and has a greater ability. Right, yeah. trauma leading to dieting behaviors. Eating, excuse me, eating disorders. Um, and so that's just because, and again, it doesn't mean that you're going to have that issue if you have a, a, a adverse childhood experience, right? But it's a matter of, okay, well, what sort of behaviors, coping mechanisms are you going to develop based around that experience and, and story and trauma you went through? And so for a lot of us, it is dieting actually, right? So imagine if your, your mother told you, you were fat and ugly and you're never going to be successful and no one's going to like you or somebody did whatever, and that just was literally like cemented in your in your subconscious mind. Well, sure. You think you're going to start losing weight and striving to do a competition because you're going to because that's the way you're going to feel accepted, acknowledging, receive attention, right? Mm-hmm. And I I said this once before, and it doesn't it doesn't really resonate with a lot of people, but I think a lot, not a lot. I don't know. I don't I don't have any stats on this or no studies, but I think there are a number of people that are doing NPC competitions and things like that. Are all wounded children still and doing it for reasons that are not congruent with who what they really want? Mm-hmm. But it's a really a reactive sort of behavior that they're doing mm-hmm. because they're trying to receive something that they never got. Mm-hmm. You know, that's my belief on that one. Um, but aside from that, right, dieting alone, whether uh, that that that's whether it leads to competition or not, it doesn't really matter. That's just another behavior that we can sort of fall into. Now, the eating disorder stuff. Whether that's bulimia, binge eating, anorexia, orthorexia, all that stuff can stem from that too. And I've kind of mapped this out because I've seen it – and the research shows this too, by the way. I'm not not just making this up. But I've seen it with clients too where they have trauma and they develop um, disordered eating and a fixation on macros. And then that leads to more dieting and and, you know, it's become one vicious cycle. So it can kind of go in many different directions. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying here?
0: Yeah. So – and then that – is there something physiologically about the dieting that contributes to the autoimmune disease developing
1: well yeah i mean it's a very think about it right it's a huge stress in the body right and so that that's really um what's happening and why people develop autoimmune disease later in life not the only thing but it's one of those things that that compounds the entire situation and basically increases that stress bucket, right? Mm -hmm. So you have various factors and things that develop over the years, it's never just one thing, Mm -hmm. right? But antibodies develop and they accrue over an accumulation of 7, 10, 12 years, depending on what disease it is, but the literature shows that, Mm -hmm. like lupus for example. And so dieting is very stressful. You're in a hypocaloric deficit all the time, you're beating your ass in the gym every day, you have it social, psychological stress, there's psychosocial stress, you're worried about what people are gonna think of you, right, all that stuff collectively can put, put you in this direction where, okay, well, if this goes on for more and more years, yeah, don't be surprised if all of a sudden you start feeling like you got hit by a train and you have joint pain and vision issues and, you know, um, vertigo and weight gain and fatigue all the time, right? So this can look like PCOS, too, by the way. It's not just autoimmune disease, but I've seen it plenty of times with PCOS. So,
0: Do you you think PCOS is an autoimmune disease, though?
1: Well, I think the verdict is still out. The research shows that there might be a little bit of an autoimmune component to that. I'm not really convinced because it's just not very cogent evidence, but it is lifestyle. And women who have um, the lean PCOS type, they typically have been the ones that have been on the dieting sort of stint for a long period of time. Mm
0: -hmm. So what do you consider to be dieting?
1: What do I consider?
0: Like, does that mean it has to be in a caloric deficit? Does that mean you have to be looking at macros? Like, I know a lot of people listening to this probably don't consider themselves to have been on a diet, but that they probably wouldn't consider themselves to have, but they've been on, like, Gaps, AIP, you know, mm-hmm. keto, like. Oh, I like see that. what you
1: mean. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I'm, I, I think of that as strictly a. I'm gonna diet to lose weight. Not, I'm gonna adopt this keto or AIP diet because that's just what I need for my health.
0: Okay. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, so let's move into PCOS for a second, since you're like on sure. PCOS role today. Um, <laughs> so kind of break down PC let's say someone listening to this has never heard of PCOS break it down what's happening
1: yeah totally so PCOS right it's a multi-system disorder that's uh, underpinned I would say by insulin resistance and has uh, genetic hormonal metabolic and and even environmental factors involved okay so it's a syndrome. It's a collection of various things. And there are many different phenotypes or different subtypes of PCOS. Predominantly it's the obese type and the lean normal weight PCOS type where you know you look at a female and she's got no fat on her and she looks lean and athletic but she's developing a lot of the hormonal dysregulations that a lot of obese women have. So there are some, uh, some overlapping commonalities between the two. However, the obese type generally has the higher risk for diabetes and cardiovascular disease and stuff like that. But actually, I was just looking at studies today that show that um, lean PCOS women have also an increased risk for cardiovascular disease. Um, so it's pretty compelling stuff, actually. Not to say that you're gonna get that, but it's something to be aware of because like, yeah, there's insulin resistance and hormonal issues in the lean type as well. That is not good. I mean, that's how you get type two diabetes, right? So um, and beyond that. So that's, I mean, to sum up, that's really what's happening with PCOS. It's a lifestyle thing. There are, there are issues with the gut, generally, I've seen. Um, again, it's, it's different for each person, but there's issues with the liver, maybe, environmental toxicity, estrogen dominance, perhaps. Um, you know, and, and so like they, all these different factors can kind of synergistically contribute to the condition.
0: Okay, so someone gets diagnosed with PCOS. How?
1: How do they get diagnosed?
0: Yeah, I feel like this is controversial. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it is a little bit. Um, There's different criteria depending on the organization. However, the the general I think widely accepted criteria is is you need to have two out of the three things. You need to have uh, multiple ovarian cysts, which is. Not a not a good way of describing it. They're really follicles, but um, hyperandrogenism or high testosterone, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, it, menstrual irregularity. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. So inovulation ovulation or some sort of perturbation with your menstrual cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, two out of the three they say, but I actually have spoken to other experts who think that you can only have one. And I've seen women I think only have one of those three still end up with PCOS, um, and and. One of the biggest issues that I'll quickly say is that a lot of doctors won't, they'll misdiagnose women because they don't develop multiple cysts, and it's not required to have PCOS. A lot of them don't even have high androgens, right? They just have a normal, they have a, it's a dysregulatory cycle, and that's tricky because that can look a lot like hypothalamic menorrhea. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's tricky because, you know, maybe there's insulin resistance involved and it's hard to measure too because you can't just do a fasting insulin and then expect that to show you everything. Different cells have different sensitivity to insulin, so it gets kinda of complex. But I, I would say like most of the time I've seen women have irregulatory cycles and then high testosterone or androgens. But the cyst thing is pretty much like fifty fifty, you know. So that's probably the simplest way of putting it, I think.
0: Yeah. And- I mean, I think when I just think about those two criteria, like the high age androgens and the menstrual irregularities, that feels like a lot of people. <laughs> like that I think like it a is. A lot. Like that. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Um, and, th- and that's why I think a lot of people are walking around unknow- like not knowing they have PCOS or pretty close so on the spectrum. And I think that's something that's going on in the fitness industry, honestly.
0: I'm sure you are loving this episode as much as I am, but I want to take a brief pause to tell you about today's sponsor, Four Sigmatic. You know that I've been using Four Sigmatic elixirs for years now. I started drinking them in college, and I've just stuck with them ever since. And if you have not hopped on the Four Sigmatic train, now is the time, especially as we approach winter while we're in fall flu season is happening, gotta boost that immune system, and functional mushrooms are the move, let me tell you. When I was in LA last week, I stopped by the Shroom Room in Venice. It's one of my favorite places in LA, so if you ever go to Venice, you definitely need to stop by the Shroom Room. It's like a functional mushroom, hole-in-the-wall cave of wonders, and you can get an elixir there. It's delicious, and if you're not already familiar with the power of functional mushrooms, well, let me tell you, there is a whole kingdom of mushrooms out there besides the portobello and all the mushrooms you find at the store, and these mushrooms have so many amazing health benefits for immunity, energy, cognition, longevity, and more. These have been used for centuries, so at Four Sigmatic, they make functional mushrooms like reishi, chaga, cordyceps, and lion's mane accessible. They make them delicious and easy to use. They have different mushroom coffees, mushroom superfood blends, and mushroom elixirs. They're sold in tins or single-serve packets, which are super convenient to carry around. And all you have to do is mix them up with a cup of hot water, or you could use some nut milk if you want, or blend them into smoothies or shakes. But usually I just use some water, which is why I love them, because they are easy to bring with you when you travel and just out and about, and you don't need anything else, and you're good to go. And, of course, they are made with the highest quality ingredients – These products are made with wild-crafted or law-grown and certified organic mushrooms. They contain 500 to 1,500 milligrams of dual-extracted mushrooms per serving, which makes them the most potent product on the market, and they are tested for pesticides, heavy metals, irradiation, mycotoxins, and other factors. If you haven't already listened to my episode with the Four Sigmatic National Educator, Danielle Ryan Breda, make sure you hop on over to episode 237 to learn more about the power of functional mushrooms and all the ways you can use them. But I want to give a quick shout-out to one of their newest products. I just started drinking this a few weeks ago and I'm obsessed with it. It is their Adaptogen blend mix, and it has 10 superfoods in it, and it just tastes like a really delicious, earthy tea. It contains ingredients like reishi, chaga, moringa, tulsi, ashwagandha, and other adaptogens, as well as some cinnamon to give it that delicious flavor. And this is like my newest obsession. I highly recommend it if you haven't tried it out. So it's available on their website. And I wanted to give a PSA that their mushroom chocolate is back in stock. This is usually only around the holidays, I think. Well, it's limited time and I stocked up last year and had a bunch saved. And now that it's back in stock, I need more. This is some of the best chocolate I've ever had in my life. It tastes delicious. Highly, highly recommend. So if you're curious about my routine, I, uh, in the evenings now, am kind of switching off between the reishi, which is what I've had every single evening for a long time. Now it really helps me wind down and supports my sleep. I've had that every evening, and I switch off between that and the adaptogen blend that I was just telling you about, because that also contains reishi. So absolutely love, love that. Always recommend it to people who struggle with their sleep or anxiety or just racing head, just needing to wind down in the evening. And then in the morning, I pick my elixir based on what I need. So the cordyceps, if I feel like I need extra energy or to support muscle recovery, if I worked out, I will go for the chaga. If I feel like I need my immune system needs a boost, I need more antioxidants, especially this time of year, I'm drinking a lot more chaga because I don't want to get sick and my immune system really needs some extra support right now because I have been going through some things with my immune system. So that's a must and it really makes a huge difference when you incorporate it regularly. And if it's a day where I really need to be focused and sharp and productive, I will go for the lion's mane, which is great for cognition, memory, and focus. So those are my dailies and Depending on my mood or if I want something extra, I'll throw in something else like the mushroom hot cacao. I especially love in the fall and winter if I just want a little nighttime treat. I love this hot cacao because it's hot chocolate, but I can go to sleep after because it contains reishi. I also love the mushroom chai latte mix. It has turkey tail, which is great for digestion. So if I'm ever in the mood for a chai, that's a great option. And another one of my favorites to add in would be the golden latte with shiitake and turmeric. So delicious. I love a good golden latte. And of course, their matcha. How could I forget about the mushroom matcha latte? That is a must. We all love a good matcha. So if you want to pick up any of those or check out any of their other products, they have so many other different elixirs, lattes, Mushroom coffees, if you're a coffee person, they have edible skincare. It's amazing. Just go to foursigmatic.com slash CRW and my code CRW will get you 15% off. So again, that's foursigmatic.com slash CRW, dot com slash CRW and my code CRW will get you 15% off. And speaking of natural approaches to supporting your health, let's get back into this conversation with Justin. So if someone has PCOS, what are some of the top things that they should start adjusting?
1: Okay. So the thing we need to remember that it is that it's a lifestyle situation here. Okay. Yes, there are genetic factors and and polymorphisms and things that get you um, that can put you at risk for this, but it's ultimately your lifestyle that got you there. Same with an autoimmune disease, right? So, which is really empowering actually. It would suck if you didn't have any control over this, right? Mm-hmm. So, the the one thing is that we need to, I, I'll just randomly you know, spit out things, but diet's got to be modulated a bit, a bit better. We know saturated fat and sugar are huge contributors to this issue, so um, cutting out meat and dairy, I, I generally say across the board is a pretty good idea that will that'll definitely help out a lot but wait, you say
0: meat and dairy yeah meat and dairy wait, wait like red meat
1: yeah yeah red meat
0: okay Continue. yeah
1: <laughs> yeah you have some leeway with poultry and, and uh, I would say fish and stuff like that but um, which are actually helpful but yeah so meat and dairy gotta go for the most part um, and beyond that like There are environmental things like BPA and dioxins and phthalates and xenoestrogens or estrogen mimickers that are definitely something to consider because they can have um, an an effect on this condition as well. And then healing your gut is probably not a bad idea because I've seen uh, research and and clients also develop dysbiosis and some sort of fungus or SIBO sort of profile thing going on, which... Contributes to inspiration and information, right? Then psychological stress. Beyond all of that, is probably the most important thing because I'll tell you what we've done everything right, Christina, with clients. I'll tell you this, and they will have their period. They'll get it back finally, and then when they previously didn't have it for like five years or whatever, and then all of a sudden they had a really bad month, and like, okay, well, why didn't you get it? Why do you think? What happened? Did you lose your job? Did your car like get totaled? Right? And like, yeah, there's something that happened and they just reacted to it. And that's literally enough to derail the hormones so that they didn't get a period. And like, I'm like, yeah, that's why. Mm-hmm. And not out of judgment, but just accepting that this is what happened and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Right. But you know, the female metabolism is very, very sensitive to stress. So you got to be aware of that. And that's why, whether it's trauma from the past or even present day stress, they both have an effect on the condition. And that's why we really got to consider both things. Um, and it even even past trauma has definitely been something I see a lot with PCOS women, um, and that's going to obviously, uh, maybe not obviously, it's going to create a low-grade inflammatory state, and you know that can easily keep things um, out of check, and that's why we have to consider these factors because you can't just focus on diet and supplements and taking metformin and all that stuff.
0: What about carbohydrate intake?
1: So. We, we've, we can see in the research that keto actually is quite useful. There's actually one study on this, by the way, that keto is actually good for uh, obese PCOS women. Uh, I have several, a few that have it, but I've never put them on keto. And that's because of personal preferences. You know, Not because I had to go by the research, but you know, if they want to do it, cool, right? However, it, it's low carbs are, are helpful and we definitely want to moderate them the quality matters, the timing is a little bit important too, but, um, you know, 400 grams is not gonna be helpful, but you know, maybe 50 isn't helpful either. Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe we don't need to do that. So for the piece, the obese PCOS woman, she can probably, from my experience, she can get by a little bit more and maybe in the 100, 150 range, for example, mm-hmm. you know, it's just a starting point. Right. Um, but for the lean PCOS woman, I found that Doing keto or going really low carb is actually counterproductive because it's more stress to the body, right? Imagine that's probably what they were doing a lot, <laughs> assuming that they were dieting and doing a competition or trying to lose weight, right? So that could be really stressful. And so if anything, I'm not trying to do that to them, mm-hmm. right? I'm trying to actually increase their, their carbs a little bit while, and also not necessarily putting them in the deficit, in a caloric deficit. You know mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's different right you see the difference between both phenotypes so like that's why we need to make this distinction
0: what do, what do you consider to be low carb
1: i you know what my my opinion on that is is probably like one, under 130 okay. grams maybe it's you know I, I haven't done weight loss like real weight loss with people in, in quite a while but like yeah, I mean, that would be what I would consider being low-carb, um, mm-hmm. somewhere, somewhere under 130, 125, maybe.
0: Okay, just for context, because yeah. everyone has a different opinion, you know? Some people sure. right. come on here and think low-carb's under 50, something is under 200, yeah. so I just like to give some context.
1: Yeah, I know, people might be like, that's too much, what are you talking about?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, especially, so, I mean, most of the people who listen to my podcast, eat, like, more of a paleo-style diet, which is inherently going to be lower-carb. Right. So oh. they think if they eat one sweet potato, they're high-carb. And I'm like, you're not. But it's fine. <laughs> it's, it's fine. Right. I keep right. having to have this conversation. People will be like, I've, I'm really high-carb right now. And I'm like, well, what are you eating? they're like, well, I eat a sweet potato every day. And I'm like...
1: Yeah. Well, it's a nice and so, try. And that's that fear that we have, right? <laughs> and, and that's probably a lot with the keto sort of movement has done us which is actually kind of unfortunate you know because now we're developing maybe there's gonna be a new sort of phobia is orthorexia and maybe it's gonna be like carborexia or something like that i don't know and now we're gonna start fearing carbs and it's not helpful because carbs aren't the enemy
0: yeah right? well it's nothing is the enemy. yeah well it's interesting like when we talk when you talk about like dieting can lead to autoimmune disease, and have a lot of people with autoimmune disease. I mean, keto like exploded in the last two years or whatever, right? So a lot of people with autoimmune disease want keto to like help, mm-hmm. but could be causing it if you know they're if that's causing them to go an extreme calorie deficit. I'm just thinking in your terms. You, do you find that?
1: So your question is if doing. Uh, dieting or keto is just help me
0: like, understand. What your question I feel is like really. some people go keto because they're trying to help their autoimmune disease, and for mm-hmm. many it might help. But could you see it potentially like making things worse? Right.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think so for sure. And I honestly don't, from my point of view, I haven't seen a lot of people do keto. It's definitely like the food elimination type stuff um that we that a lot of people care about but mm-hmm. yeah keto um is is again it's a stressful thing for some people because they have genetic issues where they can't you know convert um ketones into usable energy really mm-hmm. and that's that's the thing and that's the irony of it is that because there's a sub um, so part of the population that I know can't do this effect efficiently very well, and so what they end up doing is they end up increasing their triglycerides or their cholesterol, right? And you would seem that's like like completely out of left field because you're doing keto, you're doing low carbs, but carbs are what cause high triglycerides. So yeah, but like you know, depending on what your genes are doing, and that stuff, like that's where it can get kind of treacherous. So it depends, I think. And I honestly, I don't think keto is quite helpful. Um, it's a really bad blanket term I don't like doing, but I don't think it's really helpful for a large part of the autoimmune population because, um, because of the stress that it's doing Mm -hmm. to the body potentially, right? And especially, especially what your mind is saying about it, Mm -hmm. like fearing that you can't eat these, these, this food right here and it's going to put you out of ketosis and you're going to derail your health or your weight loss, whatever. I mean, that stuff feeds into the whole problem, right?
0: Yeah. Um, well, in my head that naturally leads into Hashimoto's for me. Cause I see a lot of people with Hashimoto's doing keto, but can we talk a little bit about Hashimoto's um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and maybe you can cover some big pillars with that?
1: Yeah. Hashimoto's is my jam. That's what I spend a lot of my time with. <laughs> so, I mean, if you think about it, it's definitely the, the number one most prevalent I think it is, statistically speaking, from what I've seen, the most prevalent autoimmune disease out there. It's just such a huge issue, and it's seven times higher in women than it is in men. You know, and the thyroid is a huge target for a lot of reasons, but if we're trying to lose weight, well, you gotta get your thyroid in check, right? Hormones dictate everything, and so doing keto, to bring it back to this for a minute isn't going to help you if you have something like Hashimoto's or hypothyroidism because your thyroid isn't working right mm-hmm. you know so that's something we got to keep in mind however beyond that yeah there are a whole myriad of different environmental factors that are contributing to Hashimoto's and that's completely unique to everybody they everybody has their own unique of uh, set of root causes right so if we're you know, putting away the biography and the history and all that for a minute, away for a minute, we got to think about, well, what have you been exposed to maybe recently, but even um, past sort of exposures as well, not talking about trauma, but like maybe you had dental amalgam fillings, right? Maybe you had a cavitation. Maybe you got exposed to a parasite when you were swimming in the, you know, murky sea in Thailand. I don't know, right? So like that's kind of what I mean, right? We need to think about these things. And we know BPA and Epstein-Barr virus and Yersinia and a whole myriad of different infections are capable of, of setting off Hashimoto's, Lyme disease, potentially even, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it gets, you know, gets really, really tricky. Um, but the the overall sort of uh, snapshot of this is that there are your own set of root causes that that contribute to Hashimoto's and this immune attack against your thyroid, there's generally a leaky gut or increased intestinal permeability, which has to be the foundation for a lot of this, right? And then there's a genetic sort of uh, predisposition that you have, Mm -hmm. right? But the sort of uh, term that you probably have heard of yourself is that genetics load the gun, the environment pulls the trigger, right? So if, if lifestyle got you here, lifestyle can get you out. And that's the most important thing. Because a lot of people are brainwashed. They think that they're stuck with this because eventual medicine has taught them that. And that there's nothing you can do except take meds and thyroid replacement and um, Synthroid and maybe change your diet, although they think diet doesn't matter either, right? So, like, you get a lot of that Mm -hmm. over and over. That indoctrination literally starts to become your new belief, and that's the truth that you carry with you. And then you sort of reject any sort of alternative (laughs) interventions. And I'm saying that because that's been my experience (laughs) talking to like hundreds of women over the years who have done this and they almost don't want to believe you. Like what? I can actually heal this and reverse it. Like, yeah. You know? So I could tell you about all the things that cause it, but if you're not willing to change your lifestyle and be open to a new solution, then it really doesn't matter. Right?
0: Mm-hmm. So what it, what would the solution look like? What kind of lifestyle things do they need to shift?
1: Yeah. So Again, it's going to be a very generalized sort of answer here, but th- there, there's like a lot of different pillars I've, I've, that i have kind of mapped it out to be. And so we look at emotional stressors, again, obviously, spiritual wellness, past tra- trauma, and things that maybe went on there, even adult tra- uh, adult stress and trauma. We have to look at hormones, what's your insulin, cortisol doing, right, if there's any sort of issues there. Uh, drainage, so detoxification, liver, gallbladder, stuff there. Some people I've seen, actually, because again, thyroid affects everything. It affects every hormone. It's not an isolated thyroid issue, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of women I see will have cholestasis or gallbladder issues and, or liver inflammation, you know, non, non-alcoholic, excuse me, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, things like that maybe. So we have to work on that. Oral hygiene is another huge one that we don't pay a lot of attention to. My right, periodontal disease, root canals, that stuff. Mercury, if you've got amalgam fillings, like that mercury is going to have a, a big role in this. Silicone breast implants. I can't tell you how many women I've had who've got explantation and they've started to feel better. And I don't think it's a, it's a sort of like sort of uh, belief or some psychological justification. I think, no, I mean, we know that in the research that it is an issue, especially for people who have an autoimmune disease, but I've seen people find relief with a lot of their symptoms with um, getting them removed. And um, so check it for that. Botox is another huge trigger we don't think about a lot. Hormonal birth control is another one, right? So making those sort of changes, I mean, can probably help you, maybe, right? And. I, don't I, know if you want to. I yeah, yeah.
0: no I, I do want you to keep going but I have a question just in your yeah. experience have you ever seen someone with the a non hormonal IUD get that removed and symptoms improve? No. Okay.
1: Because most of the women I've worked with don't get you know, like Paragard, most of them yeah. don't do. That. No, okay. I, it's usually it's usually they were on HBC or. Um, they got off of it and they're still experiencing the lingering effects of it.
0: Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Never mind. then. I'm just, I, I've been wondering about this cause I, I can see it being just a trigger, having something foreign in your body. Like, um, mm-hmm. but there's no science. You might that. be right.
1: I've never actually looked into that, but it's a good question.
0: Yeah. I asked, like, I asked Laura Bryden and she said there's like, she says potentially, but there's nothing like. No mm-hmm. science, and I'm like, of course, but I just my own opinion. I wonder yeah, if,
1: any, if anybody would know it's, it's her, so yeah, yes, <laughs> and
0: she's not sure. So, yeah. anyways, continue,
1: yeah. So, aside from that stuff, it's candida, it's looking at gut infections. Candida and fungus are like right now, I could probably tell you that 80 90% of my clients with Hashimoto's have it, it's super common.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, um, my mom had it, and so like we have to look into that because. Fungus causes leaky gut, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it can literally, I mean, I have a client right now who lost um, 40 pounds, literally, within a matter of 10 weeks, ever since we started addressing her fungus, Wow. and she had never lost a, a single ounce of weight in over two years, mm-hmm. so that's how important this is, and you're trying to, and you're wondering why you can't lose weight, well, it's obviously not just about being a caloric deficit, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, well so I mean like so with Hashimoto's, it really is a lot of like looking at the other like all the potential root causes mhm um, yeah, versus always. like people because I feel like people look at Hashimoto's and they they're like they're trying to do something very specific for their thyroid specifically rather than like looking at everything else that is affecting the thyroid
1: yeah, and I won't go off too much on the tangent on this, but the one the one thing that really bothers me and it's unfortunate is that there's a lot of this like, what's the new novel intervention supplement that we can take? Black currant seed oil, like, you know, whatever. It's like this new thing, Selenium, like, oh, well, how much iodine should I take? All yeah. these things that we wanna we wanna just hop on and take because that's what we're reading about in the blog, or this Instagram person posted that, or this functional medicine person did that. Mm-hmm. And that's that's part of the reason why functional medicine gets a bad rap, because we're kind of doing this. And it's like, okay, but you know that. A supplement or taking 20 of them um, that you end up holding in your hand when you walk out of your natural medicine doctor's office is not going to probably be the solution. It's If it worked, then you would have gotten better already. And unfortunately, we just keep trying new things. Mm-hmm. It's not to say that supplements aren't helpful, but we have to be really, really careful and choose appropriately what we think is necessary. I have a lot of clients who tell me they're on like 20 to 30 things. I'm like, okay, well, we're going to get rid of that, 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 and that. And that is honestly, it's the stress of taking that and when to take it. And, you know, all that, that's actually contributing to the Hashimoto's dilemma in the first place. So why do we need to add stress to that?
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so
1: that's the some of the drawbacks with this, you know?
0: Yeah. What about in terms of like in diet? I mean, I'm sure it's different for each person, but in general, there are certain things you have people... Remove.
1: Yeah, you'd be surprised. Honestly, um, I I kind of go with gluten and dairy, and that's it. And and that's um, just a starting point. But most of the time, we don't do much more than that, mm-hmm. unless I have reason to believe they have issues with histamine, which I've seen a lot, and um, nightshades, maybe obviously, and stuff like that, which is kind of you know it comes in. Sometimes it happens. So, mm-hmm. but outside of that, I I stick with. Gluten and dairy, because they are known to be uh, provocative uh, food antigens, right? So uh, the immune system sees them, sees their amino acid sequence, and it says, hey, like your cerebellum in your brain looks a lot like the casein in, in your dairy. Mm-hmm. And it's just attacking that, right? Or the, 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 the gluten looks like, you know, um, your thyroid maybe, right? So like, it, it, it can this cross-reactivity thing happens a lot with more than just food, by the way. Um, with viruses and infections, but like, I I start with that and see where we, uh, go from there. Mm -hmm. Um, because I don't think it's necessary to remove, to blindly remove all these foods that people want to do with the, when they do the AIP, um, and when they could have actually eaten more and been fine. Mm
0: -hmm. Something else I wanted you to touch on, like in terms of antibodies, um, you know, people ask like, what do I want my, my numbers to look like?
1: So this is gonna really shock people when I tell you this, but um, antibodies are never going to be, I I shouldn't say never, but we want them to be as low as possible. We want them to be zero, right? That's like the goal. (laughs) If they're zero, then we're healthy, we're good. The issue is that whether your antibodies, your TPO is like 2,000 or 500, whatever, yeah, we want them to be lower, and that would be a, a good clinical win. Right? I had a client who had four viruses, whatever. She had a ton of stuff going on. We addressed those viruses, and her antibodies were like literally cut in half, like 1,200 to 600. They're not zero, but she felt better, mm-hmm. and that's great, right? And the issue is that we think that they're going to get to zero, but they may never. In fact, they're going to fluctuate the rest of your life. I can tell you that 100% probably, because you may be exposed to gluten, uh, BPA, something that is triggering for you. And if you happen to test your antibodies at the wrong time, well guess what? You're gonna have high antibodies. Mm-hmm. And then you're gonna freak out and think that you have, you relapse. But it's not necessarily that simple. You also have to look at your symptoms and see how you're feeling. Because honestly, I, could, I, I couldn't really give a shit if you have high antibodies or higher than zero antibodies and yet you have no more fatigue and bloating and constipation and all these you know, dry skin and all these other symptoms, right? Mm-hmm. So we really need to start paying more attention to our, our body and our symptoms versus the objective data, because I tell you what, we've been, again, I think, sort of brainwashed into thinking that we can just rely on lab data, because the doctor says that, and our TSH has to be within this range, and if it's not, then we're, you know, we're in trouble. Like, that's even a whole other problem right there. And so there there, there are a lot of issues with labs, they're not perfect. And so we have to start to, I think, chill a little bit with the antibodies, because there, there. Every actually human, every healthy human being actually has antibodies. It's not. I actually got my antibodies tested about um, half a year or so ago. My TPO was like four, whatever. Yeah. Right. So it, it's gonna happen, but it's not helpful to be really obsessive about it. And that's why I don't have my clients rerun their labs very
0: often, often at all. Wow. Yeah. I like it. I would agree. Well, I I want to um talk about your book before we run out of time um so the flexible dieting disaster what inspired Mm -hmm. this this book
1: yeah a lot of things um obviously a lot of things because it took me three years to make it write it but um (laughs) (laughs) uh but essentially it, it came it was born out of my uh issue and i would say constant exposure to women uh, who had issues with past coaches when trying to lose weight fixation on macros and can't get rid of the the numbers out of their head despite deleting my fitness pal and These are all issues. It's all disordered eating right and it's gonna have it can potentially have a lot of downstream negative effects on the body and I, I think that's a stretch maybe for some people to think that way but if you think about the stress that's, having, that's going on in your mind about it and whatever else you're doing at a physical level, like, yeah, it's not a surprise that you may end up with amenorrhea, losing your period, PCOS, whatever else. And so it, it's really a lot to do with the psychological element of it that I had to address. And so really it's, I would say, an amalgamation of talking about that, the coaches, the issues with social media and influencers and the hypocrisy that floats around right now with that, where I'll just say this. There a lot of influences out there we look up to, and yet they have their own wounds and issues they're not addressing and need healing. So that's a problem, right? We're talking about the sort of corruption within the social media space and the fitness space, rather. And a lot of these um, coaches who, are, have, who have poor dieting practices and they're putting their clients on you know, 1,000 calories a day and cutting out all these foods and creating food discrimination, that's one aspect of it. There is the issue with social media influencers and sort of how they're also, I would say, putting out content and things that sound like they are really serving their audience, but really maybe they're serving themselves. And what I mean by that is they're trying to get attention approval and they have their own wounds and issues they're not addressing or they're not aware of that they have. And so that's a problem because all this stuff influences the malleable young women out there who just are a sponge of that stuff, right? And so I'm drawing these connections between social media influencers, you know, social media as a whole, the fitness industry, the poor dieting coaches, um, I'm, excuse me, dieting practices from these coaches past traumatic experience that also dictate our behaviors now in terms of whether or not we decide to diet or do a competition. And how all of these things can collectively Maybe push us into chronic disease and pathology, mental illness, things like that, autoimmunity, PCUS. Now, it doesn't have to be like all this at the same time, but I'm delineating these different paths in the book and showing the research that supports it. Also, my I have several case studies I talk about with clients who have demonstrated this, and this has been stuff I've seen over many, many times over the years with clients, and that's why I decided to do this because it's like it's a huge. I think um, shake-up, that is much needed because we are not giving enough attention to the dark side and pitfalls and dangers of flexible dieting or macros because they're, It's I will admit, and I acknowledge in the book, it's definitely a useful tool, has a lot of benefit, but we've taken it too far. We've gone from literally um, you know taking it from a good, useful tool to abusing the hell out of it, mm-hmm. and we don't know how to stop it, and why do we have issues with macros because, well, we don't know how to integrate it in a way. Isn't it so funny? We talk about flexible dieting, right? Oh, flexible dieting, it's going to be good for weight loss, but yet we live in an inflexible lifestyle with that, Mm -hmm. right? That paradox doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And then we have issues with, um, yet the other part is that we have issues with flexible dieting macros because we're dieting. Well, why why are we even dieting in the first place? That's chapter one. Why the fuck are you dieting? Um, and so we have to ask that question and maybe why you're dieting is because you have un- unmet needs and wounds that need healing, right? Mm-hmm. So no, I don't think that's the sole reason why people are dieting, but it's one of these hidden factors, I think, that needs more attention, if that makes sense. So the book is showing all of this stuff, but the second half gives you tools and resources and things that we were talking about earlier in this episode, right, that are going to help you heal that hidden trauma, wound stuff, wounded stuff and emotions, that you're still dealing with. That's a lot of what the second half is about um, because that might actually stop you from living in a lifestyle that isn't supporting your overall health and who you want to become.
0: Mm -hmm. So if someone hasn't done, if it's your macros, do you think that this would still benefit them? Like, is that really just that
1: population? Yeah, uh, because again, it's not, even though the book is, titled the flexible dieting disaster. It's not just about flexible dieting. It's really about dieting and why we're doing it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you don't track macros and aren't obsessed with it, but you're still dieting and obsessed about dieting, then yeah, you should probably read the book. Okay,
0: okay, <laughs> and is that, so before this you were showing me a chart. Um, is that chart in that book? Yeah, And I,
1: I literally just described it now, pretty okay. much.
0: Okay, yeah. what was that chart called?
1: Uh, it doesn't have a title necessarily. It's just, um, there, there are many different things and these are all different sort of diagrams I've just drawn out after trying to make sense of all this. But, um, it, it's nothing but like the, oh, I call out the, um, I'm sorry. Yeah. It does have a name actually. It's a tri-layer model of disordered eating and eating disorder development. So, so the tri-layers,
2: what?
1: yeah, Yeah. so tri-layers would be the, um, the social level, right? The, the influencer social media world, right? Obviously, the surface level. I should have take a step back. Surface level, meaning, you know, it's personal pursuit. Why we diet and do this stuff, and that's cool. But we we get down a slippery slope because of the coaches and in the, the indoctrination and beliefs of beliefs of how we should diet that gets us sick and dis, into a disordered eating sort of tendency, maybe. There's the social level, like I just mentioned, where social media has an influence on this and reinforces the unworthiness and inadequacy because they, they look so much better than us and we compare ourselves to that, right? And then there's the suppression level, which is obviously uh, related to how we suppress our emotions and that's because of the trauma and stuff like that. So that's how I've um, drawn it out with these three different layers, but you could have two out of three, you could have one out of three, you could have all three, right?
0: Mm-hmm you don't have to say who, but I'm just curious, like when you wrote this, were there specific social media influencers in mind? Oh yeah, 100%. Okay. (laughs) Okay, Yeah. I was just curious for for my own information. So do you have-
1: Or call call somebody out like that. No.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, I wouldn't expect anyone to, unless you're Lane Norton. Um, (laughs) Do you have your clients get off social media?
1: Yeah, no, I don't. I mean, I could easily say to do that. But here's the thing, right? It's the same with dealing with our wounds and pasts. We have to change our relationship to it, right? Nothing changes in your life except for how you look at it. And when you change the way you look at and be with something, what you look at and be with changes. So it's a matter of just not being reactive to it. And so, yeah, I think that we could easily be like, yeah, get off social media, delete your account, whatever, but that's not helpful. There are a lot of great positives and benefits with Instagram and Twitter and whatever else you're using, but it's a matter of creating uh, new patterns and and new intentions and trying to, you know, stop this reactivity that we might have, and that's going to come from our own inner healing, Mm -hmm. right? So it comes from this, it's not because of the external. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. 100%. Hundred percent. All right. Well, yeah. I think people need to get your book. So, where do they get it?
1: Yeah. So, simply uh, at Amazon. Um, it's a whopping four dollars, I think, on Kindle. Um, so it's just the flexible dieting disaster. And uh, when you actually when you buy the paperback, you get the Kindle for free. It's Just an FYI.
0: Two for one, gotcha. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. thanks for coming on and sharing all your all your knowledge. If people want to connect with you more beyond just buying the book, where can they find you?
1: Sure. So you can find me on Instagram, simply at Justin Janoska. That's J-A-N-O-S-K-A. And our website, or my website, is theautoimmunerevolution.com. And that's it.
0: Wow. So regal. The revolution. <laughs> I I love it. All right. (laughs) Thank you, Justin. I really appreciate it. Yeah,
1: it's a pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much to Justin for coming on the podcast and dropping all the knowledge. I'm sure you guys love that as much as I did, so make sure you head over to Justin's Instagram at Justin Janoska and say hi to him. And you can also find more from him at the autoimmune revolution. and of course on Amazon check out his book The Flexible Dieting Disaster if you enjoyed the show I would so appreciate it if you shared it and make sure you tag me Justin tag Wellness Realist Podcast and if you haven't already make sure you leave a rating and a review on iTunes to show your support and help me spread the word about the show I so so appreciate it if you're not already in the Facebook group make sure you join wellness Realness podcast tribe. I would love to have you there. Thanks again for tuning in. I really appreciate it and I hope you have an awesome rest of your day. I will chat with you again next time. Bye.